Coming to you live from the VIC Radio Studios in Ithaca, New York. It's the Asman and Budick Show. Here are your hosts, Jake Asman and Dan Budick. And a good evening, everyone. This is indeed the Asman and Budick Show. I'm Jake Asman, as always, with Dan Budick. Pack show, so much to get to in the next two hours here on VIC Radio. We'll be talking about the baseball games that took place this weekend. The Mets wrapped up their series with Miami. They dropped three out of four after winning the first game on Thursday. So we'll talk some Mets later on in the program. The Yankees also are on Sunday Night Baseball right now as they're going for their seventh consecutive win. And it's weird because a week ago, you know, we talked about the Yankees after they just came off the win over Baltimore and they were going back home to start the season two and four. They've won every game since. And we'll continue to talk about the Yankees as that game goes on. Right now, bottom of the sixth inning at the stadium. Yankees up 4-1. to one. So we'll get to the Yankees a little bit later on in the show. But before we dive into the Knicks and the mess that is Phil Jackson's press conference, great weather we had here tonight and today, Dan. And it's great to be back on the VIC radio airwaves for... It's sad, but only a couple more shows until it's all over. Yeah, only a few more shows, and it really was a beautiful day today. 75, 78, and sunny here on the South Hill. I mean, I, I don't think we could have asked for a better day. Was it frisky, as you like to say? It was brisk, I will say. Ah, using the right terminology. <laughs> it was It was, It was. was a nice day. A little breezy, but it was nice. You, you were satisfied with the weather. I was very satisfied with the weather You had today. said previously that your ideal weather condition is about you know, mid-70s, no wind. No humidity. And no, basically described LA. Basically. But today was close. Like it was an it was a really nice day today. There was really no breeze and you know, you're able to be outside and enjoy the weather and still it rained for about twenty five, thirty minutes. In typical Ithaca fashion, I actually tweeted this. You know, one minute it could be seventy eight degrees and sunny. Five minutes later I look outside of and course. it's pouring rain. And, and, we've that, New York. and we've seen that way too many times here in Ithaca. It's one of those things where you kind of expect the worst and you you know, you, know, you hope for the best. That's all. You hope for the best and you know, the thing is, is when you live in Ithaca, New York, you're prepared for all the weather. And we've seen, how many times have we seen over the last couple of years, a beautiful day in the morning, afternoon, it's raining or snowing in a lot of cases, and then in the, after, in the evening, it's, it's nice again. No I mean, question about it. way too many times. Now, what was not nice, transitioning to the Knicks and Phil Jackson, was the press conference that was an absolute joke on Friday where Phil Jackson had the audacity to not take any accountability for the mess that is the New York Knicks, essentially blame his star player in Carmelo Anthony for a lot of the issues, and then put him on blast and say, we think we're better off without him, and totally just blast his star player to the public, and more importantly, hurt his trade value if we really want to break it down. But I thought Phil Jackson's comments on Friday were asinine. And the fact that this guy has not spoken to the press since September, and this is what he has to say after the Knicks are coming off a 31-win season, was was just repulsive to watch. And I'm sitting there scratching my head when Phil's talking about how you know this is the style that we want to play. We know what we have to do going forward. There was a disconnect between the players and the coaching staff. Just throwing everyone under the bus, making it seem like everything's okay. And then he goes, I think real fans see that there is some progress. Phil, Dan Budick and Jake Asman are real fans. There's no progress being made. And if you want to say Willie Herman Gomez and some of the younger guys on this team get you excited for the future, fine. 
those guys aren't winning your championships, and we were promised that when you were brought in, things would be different. Instead, the Knicks have now missed the playoffs in all three years during your presidency, and you have the audacity to blast Carmelo Anthony to the public. He blasts Carmelo Anthony to the public, and he's been doing that really for the over the course of the last two or three months, whether it's been on Twitter and articles or w- what this person says, Phil said, and nothing's been direct. It's all been through the media. And I really feel bad for Carmelo Anthony that this is the way it looks like his Knicks career is going to end. And you mentioned Phil's press conference, and you talked about the accountability. Where's the accountability? And on the Michael K. show a few months ago, James Dolan put the accountability on Phil. Ask Phil. Well, you know what? Phil took no accountability on Friday in his press conference. Who's responsible? And it's almost like he does. He makes it like it's Melo's fault. There was a disconnect between the coaching staff. We, we didn't get an identity going. We didn't establish our identity on the court. Phil, look in the mirror. You put this team together, and you promised the Knicks this season a, a, a chance to make the playoffs. And really, the playoffs, if, they met, if the Knicks coming into this season were an eighth seed, we would have said, well, that was the, 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 the floor for this team, that at least they'll be a playoff team. And what they do? They finished 20 games under five hundred, and they've been out of it for months. They weren't even close. They weren't even close. And my problem with Phil Jackson, he's talking about how we have this system, this offense that we want to, we want to run, we want this identity. You're forcing an antiquated offense down people's throats. You could run the triangles sure, but to act like it's the end-all be-all, not the fact that you had Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan that were in that triangle, or Shaquille O'Neal, is a joke, and he just acts like, oh, you know, I have all the keys and the players haven't bought in. I mean, this is a 70-year-old man that cannot connect to today's NBA player, and when Kristaps Porzingis skips an exit meeting, to me, that's telling, because look around, Phil Jackson, you can't relate to your players. They're not happy with how this organization has been ran, and the owner sits back and does nothing, and you made a great point. He says, ask Phil, Well, the media got a chance to ask Phil, and Phil just rambled and made it seem like all is okay. And when the Knicks are coming off a 31-win season, after they had won 32 games the year prior, that's just unacceptable. It was unacceptable, and it almost reminded me a little bit of that press conference on Friday. Not as far as throwing people under the bus and you know, and that, but just not accepting accountability from John Idzik's press conference. 2014. With the Jets. Midway through the season, it was it, that season was way over. It was the the Jets' bye week. I think it was week eight or nine. They were one and seven they at that time. I remember. And he came out and really made it like oh. All is okay, you know. We're we're we have a plan, blah blah blah. And he got fired at the end of the season. Now we know Phil Jackson's not getting fired here. In fact, he's opted in for his next two years. So we got two more years of Phil, baby. He's not going anywhere. James Dolan made that clear that Phil Jackson is not going anywhere. If that's the case. He's got to handle this Carmelo situation perfectly. He can't screw it up because the Knicks' future, in large part, is going to be dependent on not only Chris Tasperzingis, not only the players on this team, but what happens with Carmelo Anthony. What can Phil Jackson create of Carmelo Anthony? What can he get in return? And where does he send Melo where Carmelo would waive that no-trade clause and be okay with a deal. Phil's got a lot on his plate here, and he's not doing himself any service by throwing his star player under the bus and basically saying, you know, you're not part of our plans. We want to move forward without you. Just the way it came out. And we all knew that Phil was probably out of here as the lights are going on and off here at VIC Radio. They're, they're going up. They're going down. I, we, we don't know what's going on. The ghost in here. I, I'm looking around. It's like something's flashing. I thought that one of the phones was ringing, but it wasn't. But I want to follow up on a point about this, Dan. Because when Phil Jackson talks about Carmelo Anthony, it almost makes it seem like he's trying to like exonerate himself 
from being associated to the Carmelo contract and the no-trade clause. Phil Jackson's first move as the Knicks president was to re-sign Carmelo, and he's the one that gave him that no-trade clause. That's a great point. How many NBA players have a no-trade? Outside of LeBron James, there's not many others that do. Carmelo Anthony did not need a no-trade clause. Phil Jackson was the one who gave it to him. So this idea that, oh, Phil inherited this mellow contract, and now he's stuck with it, and he's just trying to plant the seeds to get him out of town— you're the one who gave it to him in the first place. And if I'm Carmelo Anthony and I really don't want to leave New York, I say, screw you, Phil. I'm not going anywhere and really stick it to him. Because that, that was no way to treat a superstar player. Whether you like Carmelo or not and think that he's a superstar and think that he's a guy that you could lead a franchise going forward with, Carmelo Anthony is a 10-time All-Star. He has a ton of respect from people that play in the league. He's, on, he's a member of the NBA Players Association. He's a well-respected NBA player. To publicly blast him to a point where the NBA uh, Players Association had to release a statement you know, saying that they don't respect the comments made by Phil Jackson and they informed the commissioner that they believe that something should be done about it tells you all you need to know. When do you ever see a team president maliciously say comments about the team star player? You never see it. No, you never see it, and it never happens. And that's why I think Phil Jackson, there's such a disconnect here between Phil Jackson and the players. And what do you th- what do you say if you're a Knicks player? If you're Chris Porzingis, we know he skipped the exit meeting. He, just to show you the message maybe he's trying to send to Phil Jackson and the Knicks. But in general, you're a player on this Knicks team. What do you think when not only the best one of the best players on the team, but a guy who's going to the NBA Hall of Fame one day and Carmelo Anthony is being disrespected? It translates through the rest of the team. They see that. They see how Phil is treating Carmelo Anthony. And if Phil's going to treat Melo this way, how is he going to treat, you know, any other player on the team? It's not a good look for Phil Jackson to be throwing his players under the bus. And also, like it did all season, it created it creates questions for the players to answer. And all season, it's been that issue. All season, the players have answered questions. Melo's had to answer tough questions. It hasn't ended all year. And it's been a huge problem. It has been a major problem with the Knicks this year. And Phil Jackson, I don't think he realizes it, but when you go through the media and you're trying to, you know, clearly put a message out there that Melo is available and you want to trade Melo, I'll tell you what, you got you to reconsider what you're doing here because it's sending a bad message to the rest of the league, to the Knicks fans. And how are you getting players here? How are you getting players to sign with the Knicks? He's, when, under, when, when, he's when, undermined the coach, he's under, too. He's undermining the coach. He's undermining clearly the best player. And you're right. He's exonerating himself from everything. I, I don't, I'm only the president of basketball operations. You know, It's like, dude, you're running the team. And the team stinks. And the owner's not going to do anything about it. The Knicks are really not in good shape. And, you know... You love Przingis. You love the fact that Phil picked Przingis. But what else has Phil Jackson done here? He has done nothing else productive for the Knicks. He tried to put a winning team on the court this year, and it backfired completely. The Noah deal's a wreck. Rose is out of here. They don't even have anything to show for Derrick Rose. They couldn't even, treat, even trade Derrick Rose when he had the opportunity to. And how about the fact that he's talking about Derrick Rose? Well, I liked what he had. I liked that Derrick said that he wanted to be in New York and wasn't pleased with his performance this season. You're happy with Derrick Rose, but you're publicly bashing Carmelo Anthony? Derrick Rose decided to just get up and leave and go AWOL before a game this year. Now all of a sudden we like Derrick Rose and we can see him coming back. If anything, the Knicks are better off keeping Carmelo and letting Derrick Rose walk and finding a real point guard. That's besides the point. The real issue with the Knicks is that both Phil Jackson and Carmelo Anthony need to go. The problem is Phil's already uh, opted in for the final two years. He's not going anywhere. Knicks fans are stuck with him. 
The question becomes, can they trade Carmelo Anthony, and can Phil not just give him away for nothing, can Phil get something for Carmelo Anthony, whether it's picks or young players, that can set this franchise up to continue to rebuild going forward? That's the biggest question. And the thing is, with trading Melo now is, you have to get rid of him. It's almost like Phil has to get rid of him now. How can you br- Think about the chemistry and how that locker room is going to be next year. If Melo's back, you still have Phil in the fold, Hornacek's back. I mean, there's going to be a bitter taste in this team's mouth going into next season if that cloud of Carmelo Anthony and Phil Jackson is still lingering over this team. They need to get rid of Melo. Phil has to solve this. He created this mess, and he put himself in a position where they have to get rid of Melo now. Bringing back Carmelo Anthony, it might happen because of the no-trade clause and finding the right partner, but it's going to be tough for him to come back. There's so much—I'm trying to think of the word—there's so much— Disconnect, I think, between Phil and and Mello and the and Knicks, animosity. And animosity, you gotta get, you gotta find a way to get rid of him, just because of the fact that if you don't, that's going to be a major, major question mark going into next season, a major distraction for the whole team, for Hornacek, for Mello. I don't think that's something anyone wants to deal with. I'll give you a scenario. There's going to be a team that has a short exit in the postseason that is going on right now. There's going to be a team that thinks they're one piece away from taking that next step and being championship level. The Knicks need to identify what that team is and find a way to make a deal to get Carmelo out of here and get something back because it's not working. We've been saying for months on this show that we think it's time to move on from Melo, and that's not a knock on Melo. That's a knock on the fact that the Knicks are nowhere near being ready to win a championship. Porzingis is 21 years old. He's not going anywhere, and they need to build around him going forward. Melo's nearing the end of his prime. Get rid of him while they still can. And get value for him. Now, you discredited Melly. You heard his trade value. But they need to find a team that thinks they're one piece away and make that move. The question becomes, is Melo willing to waive that no trade? And I'll just throw a team out there for as an example. Miami. Could they be a team that says, you know what? We had Carmelo Anthony to go with what we're building. We could be a playoff team a year from now and, and make some noise. Maybe the Celtics. They lost game one tonight to the Bulls. Do they view themselves as a team that needs a star player? And if they do... It's tough with the Knicks trying to trade Melo because look who's going to be available on the trade block. Paul George, Jimmy Butler. Those are two players that right now are better than Carmelo Anthony. They're rumored to be available. So moving Carmelo is not going to be easy. And forget about getting equal value. That's not going to happen. But can they get some picks? Can they get one or two young players that help them? You're not going to find a guy that is the next Carmelo. But can you find a couple pieces that make you better long-term going forward? That's what they need to do. And that brings me to my next point. What leverage does Phil Jackson have going into the negotiating room? What leverage does he have? If he goes to, say, the Miami Heat and Pat Riley, and they're looking to strike a deal, Pat Riley and the Miami Heat know that Phil Jackson's got to get rid of Carmelo here. So you might be able to get Carmelo pretty cheap. I mean, Phil Jackson's done a pretty good job. You can get him for uh, 50 cents on the dollar here. Seriously, though, Phil Jackson's done a pretty good job of lowering Carmelo Anthony's value just because of the fact that you're making it clear you have to get rid of him. You're creating this animosity. You're creating a point where you have to, this has to end in divorce between Melo and Phil. So if that's the case, what what leverage does he have when he's making a deal? He's not even thinking of that. I bet you Phil hasn't even thought of that. The fact that when he goes to the negotiating room to make a deal, he has no leverage. 
Phil Jackson has done a horrible job in all his trades, too. So now we're going to talk about, you know, We have no confidence from, in Phil besides everything else he's done l- in making a deal. Look at his trades, though. He's starting with his first move. Remember the Bargnani, or not the Bargnani, remember the Calderon deal where they traded Tyson Chandler and brought in Jose Calderon, who was this perfect point guard for the triangle offense. It was a joke. And Samuel Dallenbear. And, and you know, who could forget the immortal Samuel Dallenbear, a man that Jake Charnock and I ran into at a New Jersey rest stop. Story for another day. The issue with Phil Jackson is all his trades have been bad. The two we just mentioned, and let's not forget about getting nothing for J.R. Smith, getting nothing for Iman Shumper. When Timothy Mozgov, who got traded to that same team in Cleveland, was worth two first-round picks. So this has been an issue with Phil. He's not made good trades. He's not made good signings. Look at Joakim Noah. Look at some of the other guys he's tried to bring in. Not made good trades. Let's talk about Derrick Rose for a second. They've been bad overall. The only good move he has made big move has been Porzingis. You want to give him credit for Herman Gomez and Kuzmiskis and some of the other lower tier guys on the team? Fine. Those moves aren't good enough to win your championships besides Porzingis. We need another Porzingis. The Knicks are going to have a top pick in this draft. He can't screw it up. It has to be a home run. And the Knicks could have salvaged and Phil could have salvaged the Rose deal not working out. Because Rose had value at the deadline. They could have shipped Rose out of here. And I don't know if Phil wasn't aggressive enough or what the case was, but they didn't get rid of Rose. And I think there were teams that would have made a deal to get Derrick Rose, but Phil Jackson didn't pull the trigger on it. And now Derrick Rose is probably going to walk away from the Knicks, and the Knicks have nothing to show for that deal, besides the fact that they traded Jerry and Grant. And they, and they got rid of Robin Lopez, who's a nice player that wasn't making that much money because he signed his new deal. And who would you rather have right CBA? now, Robin Lopez or Joakim Noah? Yeah, absolutely. So that deal has been terrible. And you could say, oh, you know, they get the cap space. But we've heard, we've seen this before with the Knicks. Cap space does not mean anything. It's air. And if no one's going to take that money to come play for New York right now because the Knicks are nowhere close to winning a title, you're not going to be able to get a marquee player. Chris Paul and Steph Curry are not coming to the Knicks. You're talking about lower-tier free agents. Which, yeah, you need to fill out your roster, but I, it's just, you look at, right now being a Nick fan, you really have nothing to be that excited about. You know, the team's just an absolute mess, and the person running it, it doesn't know what he's doing. And, and part, that's been evident the last couple months watching this entire season unfold. And when the Knicks announced Phil Jackson as the president, do you remember what we said? We said, well, you know what, when the Knicks are going after free agents, and Phil Jackson steps into the room with all his rings and all his glory and his tall figure and his greatness, well, he'll be able to seal a deal with any free agent. Couldn't get Greg Monroe to sign with the Knicks two years ago. Couldn't get a meeting. Couldn't get a meeting with Kevin Durant. A meeting. Not in the sign. A meeting. And he was in the Hamptons. He was in New York over the summer when he signed with the Golden State Warriors. He was in New York. And they couldn't even get a meeting with him. Phil Jackson has done nothing for the Knicks. He really hasn't. He's made some terrible deals, some terrible signings. He drafted Przingis. He deserves a donut, a cookie. He's great. He was a great pick. He looks like he's going to be a great player. Besides that... The more we go on, though, his legacy might just be a draft of Chris Dabbs where are the Knicks? That, that's a good point. Where are the Knicks going to be in two years when finally Phil's out of here? They're going to be a mediocre team. They're not going to be a playoff team. They're not going to be a championship contender. I'll tell you that right now. What are they going to be in two years? Probably a mediocre to below average team. Exactly where they were when he took over. Exactly where they are now. And that's where they'll be in two years. Phil has not done anything. He has kept this team at mediocre. He's tried. I give him credit, and we gave him credit over the summer for going out and making the moves to make this team good. You know, putting his fingerprints on this team, signing Noah, making moves, and showing Knicks fans, you know what, we want to have a chance this year to put a playoff team on the court. It didn't work out, and now Phil looks at it, and, you know, he's not to blame. Do you remember what we said, best-case scenario for the Knicks was the Eastern Conference Finals? Like we, We actually thought that there was a chance the team could have been good. 
That's how crazy it is that this team won 31 games. But, it, but, but, but it's crazy that they were so bad. The, the issue is, as bad as they were, they're not, they were not as bad as their record indicates. This team had enough talent to be a 40-plus win team and be in the playoffs. It's a shame they weren't. And the reason why they weren't, because of the locker room disaster, the disconnect between Hornacek and the players, the fact that this team, according to Adrian Wojnarowski's article he put out yesterday about Porzingis skipping his exit meetings, can't stand Kurt Rambis. And the fact that he's around the team and he's one of those Phil guys, there's a disconnect between Hornacek, Rambis, and then in return, Hornacek and Phil Jackson. I mean, it's just such a mess right now. And James Dolan, the owner of this team, sits back and does nothing and goes, ask Phil. And Phil doesn't even know how to answer a simple question. Well, that's the thing is, is clearly Dolan, a couple of months ago, when he was interviewed by Kane LeGreca on ESPN Radio, said, ask Phil, indicating that this is Phil's, that this, the team's lack of success this year is on Phil Jackson. Well, when Phil Jackson does his exit interview, his exit press conference with the media, he takes no responsibility for the team. So if it's not on, if it's not James Dolan's fault, the Knicks are bad. And it's not Phil Jackson's fault, the Knicks are bad. Who are we blaming? Steve Mills? The cap guy? Who are we blaming? You know, there's no accountability. And until there's accountability with the Knicks, they're going to continue to struggle. This is going to be, we're seeing a pattern here. And I think it starts with Dolan, but it also goes through Phil. They brought Phil in to, to run this organization, and Dolan said, you know, I wasn't going to meddle, and we thanked him that he didn't, but the team's bad still. Two, three years later, the team is still bad. James Dolan is not going to step in. He's made it clear he's not stepping in and doing anything, so the team's going to continue to suffer. I don't see a turnaround here where all of a sudden Phil Jackson is making moves left and right to make the Knicks a, 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 a good team. I think he's put them in a position where, you know, it's going to take some time. And he, I think we've, we've hit the point where in two or three years or in two years when his contract is up, how are the Knicks going to be a competitive team? Not without drafting the next Porzingis. And what, what are the draft. odds of that? Like, you know, it's so it's so arbitrary. It's just it's not a good place to be a Knicks fan right now. The playoffs are on, and the Knicks are out of it for the fourth straight year. And it's hard to believe it's been four years since the Knicks had a real good season when they won 54 games. We were seniors in high school. Four years later, we're seniors sitting here in the VIC radio studios, and the Knicks haven't been back to the playoffs since. Which is unbelievable. And if you told me, and if you told us, I think you would, you're in the same boat, that they wouldn't make the playoffs since that year. I wouldn't believe you. I wouldn't believe it. That team looked poised to be go on a run of two or three years where they were going to be a, a championship-caliber team. That was Melo's best year with the Knicks. Third in MVP voting. All was, all was well. And then Tyson Chandler got banged up. J.R. Smith got suspended. They lost to the Pacers in six games. And they haven't and been back since. That was it. 607-274-1842 is the number to call to get involved. It's the Asman Budic Show on VIC Radio. Make sure you're listening to the podcast out later this week on iTunes and ICTV.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Jake Asman. You can get Dan at Dan Budic. And when we come back, we'll open up the phones once again. 607-274-1842. Call in. Talk Knicks. And then we'll get to some baseball. Mets lost three out of four. Dan's in the studio wearing a Mets shirt. We'll get his reaction to this weekend series. And we're keeping our eye on the Yankees. Michael Pineda threw seven innings right now. Only allowed two runs. Yanks up 4-2 as we head to the eighth inning. So we'll talk some New York baseball as well when we come back right here on the Asman and Budick Show. You are listening to the Asman and Budick Show on VIC Radio. Tune in radio and podcast it on ICTV.org and iTunes. Back here on the Asman and Budick Show, 1031. Dan Budick, Jake Asman with you. Yankees up 4-2 in the 
bottom of the seventh inning on the St. Louis Cardinals. Michael to, Pineda, how about him? Three-game sweep. Yeah, Pineda's been great. His last couple starts gave the Yankees seven strong. Is he going to go back out for the eighth? I'm not sure. I, don't, I didn't see what his pitch count is, so we can look that up and kind of get an idea. Batanches is rested, though, so I'd imagine they'd go right to him and then go to Chapman to close. And during this Yankees streak, they win tonight. It'll be seven games in a row. What was really impressive was the win yesterday because CC pitched really well, pitched into the eighth inning, and the Yankees didn't have their their full bullpen to use. Chapman and Batances had pitched three straight games, so Girardi said they were unavailable, and they found a way to to really patch it together with uh, Adam Warren, who has not allowed a base runner or at all this year. He's pitching a perfect game out of the pen, twenty two up, twenty two down in his appearances. And they were able to get just enough from Tyler Clippert, who is a former closer himself, to finish the game. So the Yankees won yesterday without having to use Batantis or Chapman. So they're available tonight as they're up 4-2 in the bottom of the seventh. So we'll keep you posted on that. This streak, though, by the Yankees has been awesome. We'll talk a little bit more about it as we move on to the show. But we want to touch on the Mets, Dan, because they lost 3 out of 4 in Miami. They won the first game in the series Thursday in 16 innings. And every single game in the series could have gone either way. Today's game, extremely close, came down to really the final inning when the Marlins walked off. But the Mets were down 2-0. They were being no hit through most of it. Estrubo Cabrera came through with a game-tying single up the middle. Two runs scored, and then the Mets ended up losing in the bottom of the ninth. But this was a really good series, and the Mets were on the other end of it the last three games. Yeah, and I think, you know, you said something interesting. Really, those last three games, and really the fourth game, too, the first game, that 16-inning marathon, all four of these games could have gone either way. And the Mets were able to get the first game. The last three games suffered some losses. But you know what? It's early in the season. You know, it's kind of early in the season. Everyone's still getting their feet wet. And, you know, the Yankees started off 1-4. and four. They're now looking to win, what, this would be their sixth straight? Seven. Seven straight. So there you go. It's it's kind of, it's it's early. But they haven't we, lost since we were on the air, speaking of the Yankees, yeah, as I week. said at the top. Well, they, they were 1-4. and four. They were. Yeah, but, you know, the Mets, they, they had a tough weekend. They, you know, they lost some tough games. They lost with Syndergaard, DeGrom, and Harvey the last three games. And, you know, the first game, I think they were fortunate to edge it out in 16 innings on the Darnell home run. But they're off tomorrow, and now they get back to Philadelphia on Tuesday. And I think one thing that is good about having the off day tomorrow is their bullpen really just got taxed between the nine innings on on Saturday on Friday and the sixteen innings on Thursday, and then just these last two games, only having Syndergaard go six innings because of his his nail, and then Degrom yesterday. Um, done after seven so you know the bullpen just has pitched a lot of innings this series and I think it kind of caught up to them really over the last two days and it's not a great bullpen to begin with especially without familiar with him being suspended for the first getting him two back weeks will, of the be, will be a huge bonus absolutely and you look at this Mets team what are their strengths well they hit a lot of home runs so they're going to be a streaky team sometimes the offense is going to be great sometimes it's it's going to be cold Cespedes has been great so far this year you would expect him to be really well the question with the Mets is Michael Conforto where do you put this guy in the lineup how do you get him every day at bat because let's be honest, he's one of their better hitters. They're going to need to find a way to get him out there, and it's tough because you can't sit down Jay Bruce. You can't sit down Cespedes. The only logical person to sit down is Curtis Granderson, who we're talking about one of the most respected Mets on the team and a guy that is still making a lot of money, and it's tough to just put him on the bench for a guy like Michael Conforto. Yeah, and the pro- also a big problem is, is when you play Conforto, and where do you hit him in the lineup? They, they mess with him hitting leadoff. Part of having Granderson in there is he could lead off. Jose Reyes isn't leading off. So ideally, I think, you know, Jose Reyes would be leading off, you know, hitting well for the Mets. He's starting to hit a little better in the last couple of games, but he, he got off to a brutal start. I think he was one for his first 28. So 
when he's not going and the problem they ran into, where's Conforto going to hit? If you play him in center field, can he lead off? Well, the Mets tried that. It was all right. But at the end of the day, Conforto's not giving you enough speed, probably not high enough on base percentage to be a leadoff hitter every day. I think he will be in there for Granderson towards the end of the day. I think Conforto's going to be the Mets' regular center fielder as we get into the summer just because I think he's just going to be hitting too much to keep on the bench. And Granderson, you know, being a Yankee fan, you've seen a lot of him. We've seen, I've seen a lot of him with the Mets thus far over the last couple of years. He's extremely streaky, and I think one thing that doesn't bode him well is the fact that he's becoming very reliant on the home run ball. He's not the same type of hitter he was even two years ago. So I think just based on that, you got to think Conforto would – or the Granderson is the odd man out for, for Conforto. It's going to happen on. because they're going to need his offense. And they this, need Conforto's bat. Th- this series is, was so crazy because the Marlins, they lose in excruciating fashion. If you're going to go 16 innings and gut your entire bullpen, you want to well, at least win the game. They lose in 16 innings, and then they follow that up with three tight wins in games that were started by Noah Syndergaard, Jacob DeGrom, and Matt Harvey. Now, what do you take away as a Met fan? Well, Noah Syndergaard, does his blister issue concern you at all? Because this is now the second time in two starts where he's had to deal with an issue with his blister and force him to leave a game earlier than he wanted to. Yeah, and I'm not really concerned about it. I don't think it's any reason for them to be concerned. I think it's something they should definitely monitor. But he he gave him six strong. He was very good the other day. It's just And DeGrom was excellent. And here's the next game. Terry Collins takes out Jacob DeGrom after seven innings. He had pitched 90. He had thrown 97 pitches. Met fans who don't like Terry Collins. There seems to be a lot of them. There are a lot of them. They were killing him. And then they come out in full force. They were killing him for taking out Jacob DeGrom. And ultimately, the Mets pen blew it. I didn't have an issue with taking out DeGrom. To me, the issue was the reliever they put in to replace DeGrom. Salas, well, he shouldn't it. have been he, the one well, that he, was in the game. Well, the thing with Salas is he's been, up until yesterday, he was very good, and he's been their eighth inning guy. So I have no problem them putting in Salas. It just didn't work out. I have no problem with them taking out DeGrom either. You have to remember, Jacob DeGrom's coming off surgery. You know, it's early in the season. It's a, you know, yesterday was April 15th. So I get if you don't want to leave DeGrom out there plus 100 pitches, finish him off strong, the Mets were winning. I get it. I understand why people would, you know, would jump on Terry for it. I think it's it's only natural. But, you know, personally, I get it. We're, we're early in the season here. And the last thing we need is for DeGrom to throw, get into a tough spot in the eighth inning, and he's up past 105 pitches, and the Mets lose the lead, and he leaves on a bad note. I think it's more important for... DeGrom and, and Syndergaard and Harvey to have good starts and leave on a positive note, especially when you're talking about a 100-pitch limit this early in the season. And it's early in the season. I think it's more important for the Mets to you know get those seven strong innings out of DeGrom. And then, you know what? Maybe his next start, you could go eight innings. We're still very early. There's still a lot of games to be played. But... You know, of course, and and you know, I, I feel bad for Terry that he gets he gets it really bad when when he makes when 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 a Terry Collins decision doesn't work out, he gets killed. Mets Twitter really jumps on. Him. I, I think a lot of it's though, unfair too. But personally. I think a lot of it is because the media doesn't really kill kill Terry. If you notice, no, this, they don't. They do not kill Terry Collins because he's really good with them. And Adam Rubin talked about this. Now that he's not really covering the Mets as much. I, I was reading some of his tweets. Terry Collins makes their jobs a lot easier as a media member. He's honest, gives you good sound bites. They respect Terry Collins. So if he makes a mistake, the media doesn't kill Terry Collins like maybe they would previous the fan, managers. The fans do. The, the fans, do, fans do. The fans, they, they just want to win. They don't care about the relationship. They're not in the clubhouse. They're not working with Terry Collins every day. Terry Collins, 
he, he, he's been getting a bit of a, a pass from media members, I feel like. The vendetta against Terry Collins is not what it is in the media side of things compared to what it is as a fan. The fans kill this guy. The media, not to say that they don't do their jobs, they ask tough questions, but they don't go after Terry Collins like you would expect them to maybe do as a new, other New York manager because I think they genuinely really like Terry Collins the person. Well, I think Terry Collins, you're right. He has a great relationship with the media and, again, you know what? I, I'm not going to jump on him for taking DeGrom out after seven innings yesterday. We're early in the season here, and I think you know the Mets realize that they need DeGrom to be there at the end of the year, and it's early, and he's coming off surgery. you got to ease these guys back in. I think we forget about the fact that, you know, DeGrom got shut down because of surgery. Harvey got shut down because of surgery. You know, it's it's easy to just say, well, put him out there for the eighth inning. He's only thrown 97 pitches. But it's a tough spot for Terry to be in, especially when he's dealing with three premier starting pitchers at their age with some of the arm problems that they have had. Is Harvey, it's, still, it's is Harvey back spot. to being a premier starting pitcher? A- absolutely. He is. He is. Matt Harvey has been very good his first three starts. I was never really concerned coming into this season that Harvey wasn't going to have it. I really wasn't. I knew that this guy's a gamer and he wants to be paid. And that's the most important thing to Matt Harvey, that he wants to be paid. Well, if he wants to be paid, he's got to pitch well. He, he had really da- dappered and really put a damper on his value last season. He didn't pitch well. He was hurt. And if he wasn't going to come out and pitch well this season, well, he wasn't going to get paid. And next year, too. He's got to prove that he is worth that kind of money. And I think Harvey is a little more motivated. I think it's obvious he's lost a little bit more weight. He looks in shape. I think Matt Harvey is po- was is poised for a really good season. It did concern me, though, in spring training that he didn't pitch well. But then, you know, towards the end, he really got it together. And he's really been great in his first three starts, Harvey. Six zero seven two seven four one eight four two. Phone lines open. Let's talk some Mets. Tom in Brooklyn, New York. Tom, start us off. Hey, how you guys doing? What's going on? Listen, like you guys talking about Degrom? You know, people forget that game game twelve is just as important as game one sixty two. Every every win matters. So last year the Mets were only seventeen five in in April, but and after after that they played five hundred balls. So our April last year really carried us into the playoffs. If you don't win these games in April, it's real hard to play catch up. Well, yeah, you're right. It is hard to play catch-up if you're the Toronto Blue Jays and you're at 2-10. and 10. I mean, the Mets coming into these last three games were 7-3. and three. They've dropped three straight. They're 7-6. and six. They're not buried by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, they're important games, but I do understand if Terry Collins you know, only wants to go a certain limit on his starters this early in the season, especially in a situation, let's remember, Mets weren't down. They were up yesterday. Late in the game, you know, you Salas, you you gotta have you gotta you gotta have confidence in your relievers, and that's one thing I think Terry Collins does do. He he believes in these guys coming in, so you gotta believe in what you got going. You know, if that's Salas in the eighth, uh, Reed in the ninth, you can't shy away from that. And I understand you could go Degrom in the eighth inning, but we're early in the season. I have no problem with Terry going to his bullpen that up until yesterday was very reliable. Thus far, I, I think with Degrom though, he's at ninety-seven pitches. If he let him go out for the eighth thing, I wouldn't have an issue with it. But I'll say this, Tom. You make a good point because as a Yankee fan, the Yankees last season buried themselves in April. These games do matter. You can play yourself out of it earlier in the season. The Yankees were 9-17 and a year ago. By the time you get hot and you find your way battling back to get to the 500 mark, you're due for a cold streak. You can only play really good baseball for so long because you get hot, and then you're gonna you're bound to get cold I again get, at some I, point. No, you're right. You want to be in it the entire year. The Mets losing three in a row is not going to kill them because they were just coming off a streak where they won five in a row. But you can bury yourself earlier in the season. Now you look at the Toronto Blue Jays at two and ten. 
It's going to take a lot for them to get back to 500. And when they do get the back to 500, where, how many games in the year does it take them to get back to that point? And then you know, you're bound to get cold well, again. For instance, that's, that's like what I'm saying. And, and Tom, you, you, you talked about how important these games are. If the Mets going into yesterday were 2-9 and nine or 3-7 and seven and really had struggled, I would say, you know what, maybe you leave DeGrom out there for the eighth inning. But you know what? Where this season is and, and the first week and a half they had, I, I get it if Terry wants to take uh, Jacob DeGrom out after seven innings. I'm not going to kill him for it. You know, I understand why people do. I get that. But I, I personally, I'm not going to kill him for it. I understand where he's coming from, especially you have to understand. Terry Collins, if, if one of these guys gets hurt because Terry Collins leaves him in too long or something like that, Terry's done. I mean, I mean, let's be real here. Oh, yeah, you're, you're At this point, right. yeah, so he's got to be very careful, and we're very early in the season. It's a fine slope and a fine line for Terry to be walking on, and it's a difficult job. It really is to be the manager of the Mets nowadays because of this pitching and how young it is and the injuries they've had and keeping all these guys fresh. A lot of pressure is on Terry Collins and Dan Worthen to handle this properly, so I get it, taking him out after seven innings this early. Yeah, it's just one of those situations. Listen, if Terry takes DeGrom out and it works out, Terry's a genius. He saved the arm. If it doesn't work out, he gets the flack like he got Exactly. Out. And you know what? It didn't work out. They lost. And 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 we th- thanks for the call, Tom. We appreciate it. But it, it didn't work out. And you you made a great point. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. I understand why Terry did it. I get that. It just it didn't work out. They lost. The Mets are well, – the thing with the Mets, they'll be fine. They are. They're We're too early good. in the season. They're too good of a team. The biggest thing for them is keeping these starting pitchers I'll tell you healthy. What, I'll tell you what. Inside of the loss, and I, you know, I, I like to dissect the games and stuff, they have had some really timely hitting. In the last – the first, you know – 14 games of the season, 13 games. They, they've hit the ball much better than they did all of last it, it, season. They are so streaky, though, as a team. No, they are, they, but they're going to be streaky. But that's the thing. It's like they're going to win some games. They're going to hit some home runs. But the one thing they need to happen is these starting pitchers to be healthy. But how many times in the last three or four years since these young pitchers, really it started with Harvey, have been up, have the Mets lost games where they have just not scored for their starting pitcher, where they lose games 3-2 to two or 2-1. Two to one. The Mets lose so many close games, and it feels like it especially happens when Noah Syndergaard and Jacob DeGrom are on the mound. It used to happen all the time with Harvey, but now it feels like classic example was just yesterday. DeGrom has a great performance. Mets bullpen loses the game from him. It happens all the time with it this does, team. It does. It does happen a lot. And They've I think, had some tough losses, no, those guys. they do. They do. They have had some tough losses, but... You know what? They got to bounce back from it, and then they got to hope hope to win. They've had some really timely timely hitting, though. They are streaky. They're going to hit the ball out of the ballpark. They're probably going to they lead. I know they lead baseball in home runs right now. They're probably going to be in the top two or three in home runs. But the difference is, they have to hit with runners in scoring position. Thus far, they have. You are listening to Jake Asman and Dan Budick right here on the Asman and Budick Show. Follow the show on Twitter with the handle at Asman Budick Show. 25 minutes left in the program is the Asman and Budic Show, taking you until midnight right here on VICradio.org. Yankee game went final, as we mentioned in our last break. We saved the Yankees for the end of the show. We talked Mets earlier. Check that out in the podcast later this week. The Yankees have now won seven straight games. A year ago at this time, they were 5-7. and seven. Now they're 8-4, and four, and this team has pitched so well in the last seven days during this winning streak. CeCe Sabathia has been terrific, and for now, the second straight start, Michael Pineda, who took a perfect game into the seventh inning in the Yankees' home opener on Monday, was phenomenal tonight. Seven innings, two runs, gave way to Batances, and the Yankees' bullpen closed it out as the Yankees blew it open in the eighth inning. But how about the Yankees tonight? Greg Bird got it going, and they sweep the Cardinals, who are now reeling. And I know the Yankees haven't been winning these games against some great teams, 
teams. The Rays and Cardinals are nothing to write home about. But considering that this team started 1-4, and four, I don't think we could have saw a seven-game win streak come out of nowhere like it has, especially with the fact that arguably their best player, their most important hitter in the lineup, Gary Sanchez went down, and they haven't lost the game since. Well, I think it starts with the pitching. They finally got some good pitching. A week ago, we sat in this very same studio, and we talked about the fact that well, they're going to need CC to pitch well. They're going to need Tanaka to pitch a heck of a lot better. And they're going to need Severino to continue uh, to, to pitch well and, and pitch good. So, and, and that's what happened over the course of this last week. And you'll see Montgomery again. I think he's starting tomorrow, isn't he? Yeah. And Montgomery again tomorrow. So, going to get another chance. So the thing with the Yankees is if they can continue to pitch, they'll be competitive. But that's the big that was the big issue coming into this season. Are they going to be able to pitch it enough and be a good enough staff over the course of a season to be a, a playoff team? That's still yet to be seen. We'll see, but this week they pitched very well. And considering that the Yankees started 8-16 and 16 a year ago, for them to be 8-4 and four after they were on the cusp of facing a 1-5 start, if they didn't come back against Baltimore in that game a week ago last Sunday really is remarkable. And you look at where this Yankees team was a year ago. They weren't hitting. They weren't pitching. They buried themselves early. And by the time they really fought out of it and got to around the 500 mark, they had to sell because they weren't really a legitimate team. They didn't have enough pitching. And something is really cracking in our studio, and I have no idea what that is. Oh, it's a janitor. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> the, old, the old janitor, as we're talking Yankees baseball here on VIC Radio. But really, give, I give this team a lot of credit because they lost Gary Sanchez. They lost their most important hitter. They've been without Didi Gregorius, and they've been doing just enough. And that really hasn't been the offense that's carried them. They've had some really great starting pitching. CeCe Sabathia pitched into the eighth inning yesterday. He's been great in every single one of his starts this year. He's got an ERA under 1-5. He's been terrific. And you look at what this bullpen has been able to do. We knew Batantis would be great. We knew Chapman would do his thing. But Adam Warren has been phenomenal. Brian Mitchell's pitched well. Tommy Lane has pitched great out of that pen. They got some really good guys that have contributed. And a guy like Ronald Torres and a guy like Aaron Hicks, they've all been able to raise their game despite some of the injuries and the, fi- and the fact that, you know what, Aaron Hicks had an awful year a season ago. He's played really well and Torres filling in for Didi has given them everything you could have hoped for. And finally, Austin Romine has been terrific. Had a great game tonight, really blew it open with a double in the eighth inning. This Yankees team, I don't know if they're going to be you know, a championship caliber team, but for at least this last week, they show you that if they get pitching, their bullpen and their offense is good enough to win a lot of games, as we suspected. Yeah, and I, I think we knew coming into this season that they were going to score a decent amount of runs. I was never really concerned with their offense. I knew it would be there. Obviously, when Sanchez went down, you were wondering, well, uh, how are they going to be able to sustain this without his big bat in the lineup? They've done a really good job. Judge has been great. Bird had three hits tonight, so hopefully he's snapping out of the kind of slump he got into to start. Off the he's season. so important to get oh, going. He's, he's very important for the middle of that lineup. But the question was always the starting pitching. And yeah, I think if they get good starting pitching, they'll be competitive. They'll be a good team. But are they going to get that that starting pitching throughout the course of the season? Is it reliable? Can you rely on it? And can you rely on CC Severino, Pineda, and Tanaka to be the five guys that could lead, or the four guys that could lead this staff? And Montgomery, too, if he keeps it up, or whoever that fifth starter is for the Yankees moving forward, if it's not Montgomery in the long run, if it's someone else, how are you going to get these guys into the sixth, seventh inning, and how are you going to be able to get them pitching successfully? And if the Yankees do that, you know, they'll be in the race. You know, they'll be a competitive team. You mentioned it. Probably not a championship-caliber team, 
but a team that could be around in the wild card playoff hunt. And I'll tell you what, there's always a team every year that surprises. You know, could the Yankees be this surprise team this year? With the way they're pitching, you can make a strong case for it because you know what you have in Tanaka. And I'm honestly willing to say at this point, you know what you have in CeCe. I don't think he's going to have a 1 3 ERA all year, but I think CeCe Sabathia proved to you last year and so far this year that he's turned himself into a really serviceable back end of the rotation starting pitcher that at times can still be really good. He's going to give you a consistent start and keep you in the ball game. And at this point in his career, that's all they really need from him. And well, you look not gonna, at the, not, he's not going to be the CC of old. He's got you know, and he's done a good job. He's re- learned how to pitch like Andy Pettit has. Yeah, he's at the done end of a his good career. job recreating himself. I, I think the Yankees. Listen, I think they could be a surprise team. I have to see the starting pitching over the course of a little more period of time. I think they've gotten off to a nice start here, eight and four. It's nice to see, and you you obviously rather be winning games than losing games at any point. In the Especially season. when you're eight and sixteen a year ago. Well, exactly, and anything's better than the start they got off to a year ago. But again, it's, it comes down to the starting pitching. Are they going to get this starting pitching as we hit May, as we go into the summer months? Is this a starting staff you can rely on? It looks good so far, but we've seen Pineda in the past struggle. You know, we've seen Severino struggle before, and he looks good, and I think he is the real deal. But, you know, is he going to go through a stretch like he did last season? Is Pineda finally getting it right? Is he finally going to be a guy the Yankees can really rely on every five days to be not just a mediocre starting pitcher, but a, a major contributor onto a, a team with a, with a winning record? That's the question. Those are still questions that need to be answered. But the offense, I think they have a pretty good offense. They got a young offense. It's exciting. They got a lot of exciting pieces in there. I think they're going to score plenty of runs. I think the issue is going to be can they get quality starts uh, coming from these five guys? You're absolutely right. I think the issue becomes with this Yankees team, you know, as great as they played, you said it. This starting pitching, can you continue to rely on Michael Pineda? Can Luis Severino continue to pitch like he's been able to pitch? The real it's question so early, in, it's tough to really is, get a gauge for it. The real question with the Yankees coming in came down to two pitchers, in my opinion. Severino and Pineda. Pineda had a bad first start, been great in his next two. Severino was okay in his first start, really good in his next start. This team, if they get contributions from those two guys, all of a sudden you go from a team that has so many question marks in their rotation to a rotation that's not elite, but it's good enough to win you games, especially when Gary Sanchez and Didi Gregorius come back. And Didi could be back within two weeks. He could start a rehab assignment, they said, as early as, as this upcoming week. So you look at the Yankees, they're in pretty good shape here because they're going to hit, they're going to get Sanchez back at some point, and listen... Their bullpen is so good. It's really the it best. It's, it's their bread and butter. It's the best in, in baseball. So you get a lead going into the seventh inning with Clipper, Patances, Chapman, and throwing Warren into that mix as well. You're talking about a pen that could shut down the game. And it show, the biggest sign of that was what happened in yesterday's game. Patances and Chapman both unavailable. So they go to Warren and, and Tyler Clippard, and they're good enough to close it out. Not many teams have that bullpen depth that the Yankees have, and that's a major strength for them as we continue to go forward. No, and the bullpen is their bread and butter. And we kind of always said coming into the season, if they could get into the seventh, eighth inning, you know, with a lead, they're probably going to win. Now, again, it, it's like being a dead horse, but that's what this season's going to come down to for the Yankees. It's going to come down to their starting pitching. It's going to come down to is their starting staff the kind of staff you can rely on to give you big innings, you know, late in the season. And, of course, health plays a big factor into it. they got to stay healthy. The Yankees have the White Sox coming up next at the stadium on starting tomorrow night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, three-game set with the White Sox looking to continue their winning ways. But you got to be encouraged from what you've seen so far from the Yankees, especially the fact they've started 1-4, and four, they got off to a rocky start, and they've kind of come together a little bit the last week winning seven in a row. We'll see if they can continue it. Phone line's open, 
1-8-4-2. Talking Yankees. The Yankees have won seven straight games. They'll go from they'll go for eight tomorrow, as Dan just said, against the White Sox in the Bronx. Let's go to Steve and Queens. Start us off on the Yankees, Steve. What's going on? Gentlemen, how's it going? Steve, good to hear from you. Stevie. All right, so all right. Here's the deal about the Yankees. I like what they're doing right now, winning seven in a row, but here's the deal. What's the, the deal? Have, the Yankees have to win on the road. That they only had two road wins in like the first couple of games. I'm like, well, I mean, well, they, I mean, only they had one road trip. They started one and four, or two and four. Sorry, two and four. The Yankees have to win a series on the road. Like they could go nine and zero at home, but the Yankees have to win on the road. And they got like they they got to go to PNC Park first, and then they go to Fenway against the Red Sox. Well, the, Troy, you, I mean, the, the season me, just Steve, started. Steve, <laughs> excuse me, not Charlie. Steve, excuse me. Slow down a little bit. The season just started. They only had one road trip, and it was to start off the season. They've been good at home so far. They're going to try to continue to win at home, but that's what I'm saying. It's early in the season, so I can't yeah, really get early. a gauge on what this team is. The pitching's been good. The better last than eight week. and sixteen from I a year. Well, ago. Of course, better than eight and sixteen from I a year ago. We also haven't played that many games yet. No so, question about it. So we'll we'll see. But you know, the road. Listen, you got to win on the road, but I think it's early in the season. It's too early in the season. They haven't had really- enough time to yeah, win on the road. They've had they've had two series on yeah, the road. Yeah, it's too early in the season to really to really say they have to win on the road. Yeah, of course they have to win on the road. They got to get going, but they got off to a, a one and four start. So you know, obviously oh, the road wins weren't there early on. Yeah, but you have to win on the road too. Like I'm, I like of course the team's doing. We love like- winning on the road. Oh, absolutely, road warriors. But I, I am shocked at. About this pitching staff right now, you see, like, this is a Batia pitching. Well, Pineda. The pitching has been great, but Steve, can they sustain it? Thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Can the Yankees sustain that kind of success in the rotation? And we 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 cut you off, but I think you were about to say absolutely. I don't know. We'll see. I don't think it's something you could definitely write home. And Steve sign wants off the Yankees on. to be road warriors. They've had they've had two series on the road. Yeah, Steve. They'll Steve, play. They're going to play eighty one road games. Steve, so. they're going to have plenty of road games. Don't worry. They, they'll play. They'll play everyone on the road. They'll go to City Field out in Queens, right by you. They'll play. They'll play they'll on the play, road. They'll play on the road. But again, it comes down to the pitching. I, you know, I'll again. give you a great stat though about uh, the lack of the road. Who cares about the road? The Yankees have not started six and zero at home since what year? The year 2000. They won the World Series that year, Steve. Yeah, correlation. Don't Maybe. worry. You never know. The Yankees were 8-4. Were First time they've been 8-4 since what year? 1998. They won the World Series that year, That's Steve. That's true. And so, you know. There's some facts. Record-wise. Road Warriors. Record-wise through the Yankees' first, you know, 13 games or so. You know, they're looking pretty good to win a World Series compared to other Yankee teams that have, that have had similar records. So, again, we'll see what happens. They, they're going to hit the road next week. And, and try to win some games on the road. But the starting pitching is the question. The starting pitching is what will make or break this Yankee season. You know, their offense, they have a good offense. It'll struggle at times. they got a lot of young hitters. So, so there will be struggles that will go through some growing pains as a lineup this season. I think that you can, you can, you can bet on. A lot of young hitters, a lot of guys that don't necessarily have a ton of major league experience. So, yeah, they'll probably struggle as a lineup, but overall, it's starting pitching. It's that starting staff that needs to pitch well if the Yankees are going to be a team, you know, into into late September is in the hunt for a playoff spot. No question about it. I think one more thing about the Yankees, they've gotten so many contributions from some different guys. I mean, a guy like Austin Romine one game, or Aaron Hicks hitting two home well, runs the other that. night on you Friday. See that. They they have been able to do it without being you know without having to rely on one player like they, they did with Sanchez when he got called up. It's been really fun. Listen, I know the Yankees are the Yankees, and the expectation is to win a championship, but we were all told that this was just a throwaway season, and whatever happens, happens, and so be it. And I'm cool with that as a Yankee fan, but you know what? There's no reason why this team can't be the surprise team of the season if they get the pitching. They've gotten the pitching the last seven days. 
and they can continue to get that pitching with Gary Sanchez coming back, with Didi Gregorius due back soon as well, they're going to score a lot of runs. And we know the bullpen is proven. We know they're good. It all comes down to that starting pitching. And I think it's a really good sign that Severino and Pineda have bounced back. CC has shown you that what he did a year ago was not an aberration. He's really figured out how to pitch. And there was some concern over Tanaka with his first two starts, but in start number three, he really locked down and did a nice job after giving up a home run in that first inning. April 16th, where, you know, it's early in the season, but the Yankees have been really, really solid. Eight and four, Mets seven and six. So as we head into now, what is it? It's going to be the third week of the baseball season already. It's, it's, it's moving and grooving. It keeps on flying down. Let's, let's take a quick break, though. We've got about 10 minutes left in the program here. Your phone calls, phone lines have been really busy tonight, 607-274-1842. The number to get involved when we come back, your phone calls on the Yankees right here on the Asman Budic Show. The Asman Budic Show is brought to you by Gus Busters Umbrellas and Wings Over Ithaca. Now, let's get back to the show with Jake Asman and Dan Budic. Asman and Budic Show back here in the VIC Radio Studios. Hanging out with us tonight is Jason Hannigan, Brett Mayerson, and Ben Carlton. Got about nine minutes left in the program. We just talked about the Yankees' 9-3 to win over the St. Louis Cardinals. Yankees really in a good place right now as they will go for win number eight tomorrow in the Bronx. Back to the phone lines we go to talk about the Yankees. Jackson in Ithaca, New York. Jackson, what's going on? What's up, fellas? How are you? How are you, Jackson? Great as well. Well, actually, not so great. I'm a Met fan, but I'm calling to talk about something more positive. Jay. Don't worry, the Mets will be fine. Yes, I know it's early. Not not good signs from the offense, but that's neither here nor there. Jackson um, Roberts, baby, we love it. So here's what I'm. You don't know his last name. This is Jackson. Oh, we know guy. it's Jackson Roberts, baby. Who are we kidding? <laughs> is this Jackson Roberts, the host of uh, Reed and Roberts in the eight to ten hour? But but you know it could be. Um, so. I just want to say before I get into my topic, I'm still I'm loving the ukulele playing. It's, it's, Thank you. I'm continuing. So well. I'm continuing to get better. It's, Are you still on your course to play the ukulele at our final show? I'm still on course. Yeah. Okay. There's nothing's changed. It's still I'm practicing. I'm getting better. I'm improving. I'm at. I'm almost at a month. I'm actually. I'm a. I'm a few days short of a month that I've got. I've gotten the ukulele. And you. Are, uh, are you are you making your own song? Are you writing your own song? Or are you gonna play a classic? I'm gonna play a song. I don't know which song yet. I'm kind of still getting a feel for the keys. I, I'm able to play a little bit of, of certain songs and get some some riffs in. Challenge but yourself. Play I'm, st- I'm still getting. Well, that's tough to play on the ukulele. <laughs> but uh, I'm still getting a feel for some chords. So maybe you know. Hopefully, I'll be able to play something good for uh, for the VIC radio audience. You know, look, it'd be great. Matches the quality of the rest of the music. It'd be nice. Of course. Uh, so uh, Aaron Hicks. Aaron Judge, you know, both, you know, good nights tonight. What do you, what do you guys expect from them going forward? That's, that's, that's what I'm curious to know because I, 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 I myself have been asking a couple different Yankee fans, and I've gotten some mixed reactions because it's, again, we're early in the season, but here these guys are. They get going against Wainwright. They get going against this Cardinals team. Who knows? Maybe that could spark something. And like you were talking about before, Jake, they're missing their big bat and Sanchez. You know, if these two keep playing as well as they do, and, of course, everybody else in the lineup, you know, you may not see the difference. No, absolutely. I think the biggest thing with a guy like Aaron Hicks, he's valuable as a fourth outfielder. He didn't have a good year a season ago. The Yankees love him for whatever reason. We're starting to see it a little bit more this year. They love his ability. He's helped them win a couple games earlier this year. He hit the home run tonight. 
He's off to a really good start. The thing with Aaron Hicks that concerns me, though, is that he's a really streaky hitter. I want to see him have some more consistency. He's not their long-term right fielder. That that man is Aaron Judge, who has been terrific. He should have had a home run tonight. His power is just so unbelievable. We've never seen anything like it in a Yankee uniform. He hits home runs in batting practice that no one has ever touched before at the new stadium. Tonight he hit the Toyota sign in right field, and I was following one of the beat writers on Twitter. I forget who it was, or I'd give them credit. He said that no one that he's never seen a left-handed batter hit that part of the right field, uh, or a right-handed batter hit that far in the right field seats, the Toyota sign in batting practice, all the way out. Uh, above the bleachers. So Aaron Judge is a special player as far as ability goes. He's been able to not strike out as much, and he's had a really good start to his season. He has to continue to play well. Listen, the Yankees have a lot of young guys in their lineup. It was great to see Greg Bird get going. Bird, Judge, and when Gary Sanchez comes back, Gary Sanchez in the middle of that order. They're the important parts of the Yankees going forward. Eventually, Torres will be here, and at some point, Clint Frazier is going to get his opportunity, you would think. So the Yankees have a nice young nucleus they're building. The key is for them is the starting pitching. I think this lineup is going to hit. That's not my concern. You want to see Judge continue to get his at-bats and do damage like he's been able to do so far this season. Yeah, Jackson. I think the important thing for the Yankees is is to just get good starting pitching, and I think their lineup will be all right. I think I said this before. I'll say it again. I think they're going to go through their struggles this year offensively. I think they're going to go through patterns. They have a young team. They have a young lineup. They're relying on a lot of young guys. You just ride it out when that it don't necessarily have major league experience, and they're at the point where you just got to kind of ride through those those hot and cold streaks. They're going to have hot streaks like they're in now, and they're going to have some cold streaks. But I think more often than not, they're going to score a lot of runs. But it's going to come down to if they can stick with it on the mound and their their rotation gives them more good outings than not rather than not you know they're they'll be in the race towards the end but that's a big question that, you know that's something that uh that, that we'll see, and we'll see if the Yankees add any sort of pitching depth as we get you know closer to the deadline and uh, depending on where this team is as far as competitiveness at that point. But we'll see. It should be interesting. Yeah, I, I do think it's interesting, and I also I agree with you guys 100%. And I, I, I was kind of intrigued by what you were saying before. I think you made this point, Jake, and I think you, you, you were talking a little bit about it too, Dan, is that um, – is that you know CC has kind of transformed into this power you know from excuse me from this power thrower uh, you know 97 mile an hour fastball good change up those two kind of went hand in hand now he's kind of you know a, a service pitcher on the back end of that rotation and I think I think one of you guys had said this before you know um, you can't obviously expect as much as you did when you first signed him but you know you, you, you I, I think it's fair to say. Uh, that, you know, you're getting, and, and again, it's early, it's just tough to prognosticate, but still, you know, these past couple starts, I think he showed you that he can be maybe that fourth or fifth starter that you need, not necessarily somebody to lean on, but somebody who can kind of fill that void. No, absolutely. And you know what, and thanks for the call, Jackson, we appreciate it, but, you know, CC has made that kind of Evolution, and that's kind of what he needed to do. That was a story a few years ago. Can CC make the adjustment from a power pitcher, top of the rotation guy, to a guy that still, still, still can get a lot of outs, but he's not going to throw 96, 97 miles an hour anymore. He'll throw low 90s. He can mix it up a little bit. He's going to have to preserve himself on pitch counts. Going to have to be a little crafty on the mound. And I think he's done a really good job making that adjustment. So I'm not. I'm with Jake, and I'm with you, Jackson. I'm not concerned about CC. I'm really not. And I kind of wasn't coming into this season. I've seen enough from him to think yeah, that you know I, what. He's figured out how to be a pretty good starting pitcher. And, and he, listen, in a lot of those times, like you, you don't see bad pitchers make the adjustment. CeCe was a great pitcher, and he's made that adjustment. I'm not surprised. The question 
question is, Pineda, Severino, uh, are they going to get big innings out of those guys as we progress? And anything they get from a guy like Jordan Montgomery, who I believe is going to be starting tomorrow, I'll check that right now. If they get contributions from him, all of a sudden you're talking about a rotation that it's not great. You have a great pitcher in Tanaka, some solid pitchers in CC, and whatever you get from Pineda and Severino to be determined, but so far so good. You're talking about a rotation that is very solid, and it will be Jordan Montgomery getting his second career start tomorrow. So it will be interesting to see how he does, because he was pretty good his first start. Had seven strikeouts and five and a third innings. He's a guy I really like. I think if he has an opportunity to really take this take this job going forward, that'll be a good sign. Get another young pitcher in there. Listen, the Yankees have some holes in their rotation, but for at least the past week, this is the best I've seen this Yankee team play from top to bottom, really since 2012, if you really break it down. Thanks for listening to the Asman and Budic Show. To keep up with the guys, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter with the handle at Asman Budic Show. 